Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Research shows that creating a separate digital bank by a legacy financial institution is an opportunity to build new, high-growth businesses that leverage the parents' capabilities, brand, and capital. The challenge is moving from a rapid initial growth phase to delivering sustainable returns over time and transitioning from small to large scale. Genius Bank, the new digital banking division of California-based manufacturing bank and wholly owned subsidiary, the true trillion dollar asset Japan-based SMBC Group has just announced the launch of its inaugural consumer product. I'm excited to have longtime banking veteran John Rosenfeld, president of Genius Bank on the Banking Transform podcast. We discuss what he believes will differentiate Genius Bank from all the others in the marketplace and why he believes this new digital bank will succeed where others have failed. So why is it so damn hard to create a successful digital-only bank in the U.S.? Organizations like Simple, Movin, Chime, Varo, Finn, Marcus, N26, and others have tried to build a modern digital banking organization from scratch with various degrees of success. What is the missing link and what is the secret sauce that can propel a new digital banking brand? So, John, we are certainly not strangers having crossed paths when you worked at Citizens, TD Bank, and Bank of America. You've always been a very determined banker with an eye on market opportunities. How has your journey in and out of the banking industry brought you to this juncture at the, as the head of Genius Bank? Well, the opportunity really attracted me most um, to SNBC. And I, and I think the experience that I've gained in, in you know working at several of the top US banks and in, specifically in the areas of digital banking and deposits and so forth, uh, made my candidacy uh, appealing to them. Uh, so it really was kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, and the, the opportunity is just so exciting. I mean, we're going to get to build a new bank that is more focused on the customer success than our own. You know, it's gonna, we're building it on the latest technology without the typical baggage that, you know, almost every other traditional bank carries, you know, like costly branch networks, manual and paper-based processes or aging technology. Uh, so that's really what brought brought us together. So can you provide a little overview of Genius Bank? It's not totally new. You, I think you introduced the, the product uh, or the uh, platform about nine months ago, but also the vision for revolutionizing digital banking. Yeah, so we, we truly intend to lead a monumental shift in the industry, empowering our consumers to live a richer life. Now, we're going to do that by offering them a broad set of product offerings, all fully integrated with an omni-channel experience. We also intend to you know, build on top of that what, what, I, what, what we've been calling humanizing digital banking. So we're going to have 24 by 7 access to real people that are going to willing, there to help consumers, which really is different than a lot of digital banks. A lot of them are trying to avoid human contact because it costs money. Um, and, you know, we look at it and say, we're going to be the digital bank that's more human than anyone else. And then on top of all that, you know, if we think of that as basic or core banking, we in, we're building something we call evolved banking, which is where we really help create tools that help customers gain more confidence and more control with their money. 
What does that mean exactly? That they'll be able to gain more control of their money. You know, it's interesting. You've heard of the term aggregation and, and other banks have done this where they they allow you to link in the bank account from another bank and view some of the transactions or your balances. If you look at almost anyone that's used done aggregation to date, they've done it as a side venture. And there's a really good reason why they did it that way. Um, but let me tell you what a side venture is. When you, you know you log into your online banking and over on the, on the side of the screen, there's a button, hey, aggregate other accounts. You click on that and then you go to a separate screen where you can view your aggregated accounts. But it's not integrated into your, to every other part of the online experience. And the reason for that is those banks signed a contract with somebody to provide that service. And they only pay for every customer that actually clicks on that button. So they don't want people to click on that button unless they really want to use it. We took a different approach. We've integrated into every single page of our experience. So if you think about it, if you wanted to find out how much you spent on coffee last year on one of your credit cards, not that difficult to do. If you wanted to find out how much you spent on coffee last year across all of your credit cards, debit cards, and everything else, that's a lot harder to do. In fact, I don't know a bank that'll allow you to do it today. But that's one of the things. That's just one simple example of what we're going to do that's different from the from the pack. So, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of digital only banks, names that are very familiar to us, have have tried to build digital only banks in the past. A lot of them from the startup sounded very similar to what you were saying: customer focus, integrated services, full line of products. What key lessons have you learned from these experiences and how does Genius Bank tend to overcome these obstacles? So you, you, when you said it earlier, you mentioned the secret sauce uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually tell you what I think it is. But most of the banks you talked about, you know, I think of as fintech startups and, and most of them don't have banking charters, which really limits some of the things that they can do for their customers or they have to partner with a real bank to do it. And that means they have to share their revenue. So it, it makes it more difficult for them to provide as compelling a value proposition to the consumer. So not having a charter is actually a big deal. Uh, and one of the things that kept me from pursuing, you know, a role with any of those businesses, because I felt like it was really going to be limited. The second thing is almost everyone you mentioned uh, has had to spend an enormous amount of time and energy trying to get investment dollars to build what they're trying to build. So they have limited investment um, and that, that narrows the scope of what they can do over whatever you know, initial time period. But it also changes the dynamic because investors that you know, generally in these startups have a fairly short term horizon where they want to get paid back. And so the expectation is you got to show us something fairly quickly. And, and really the entire U.S. banking industry has a relatively short term focus because the analysts want to see repeated income growth every quarter after quarter after quarter. Uh, so it's very difficult for a bank to make very long-term investments. That's one of the, I think that's the secret sauce. I think having a back, having backing from, you know, a, an organization that's really focused on a much longer term horizon uh, with truly patient capital uh, is going to allow us to build something truly special. Okay, so using that as a foundation, we can look at Marcus and we can look at Finn. Finn from Chase was doing very well from everything we understood, and then they rolled it into their branch-based model. 
when you look at Marcus, they certainly had no lack of capital availability, certainly seemed to have management centricity towards what they wanted to achieve. But both, well, with Finn, they rolled into the, the primary bank. And with Marcus, it obviously is disbanded, as we, for lack of a better word. What changes when you're looking at what you're doing at Genius? And what did those organizations teach you about what to try to avoid? Yeah, great question. Uh, well, so the, let's talk about Finn first. And, and Finn is, is not... It's not, or it's fairly typical of other big banks in the industry that have tried to pursue, call it digital ventures, right? Um, you know, there's a few different kind of s- different scenarios, but generally they have a huge incumbent customer base. And what they're trying to do is figure out how to grow. Uh, and, and as a result, that incumbent customer base has kind of built in expectations. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I was talking to a president of one of these banks and I said, well, you know, they say, why can't we just take some of the things you've done, John, and, you know, plug them into the, the rest of the bank and, and then reap the benefits of that. And I and I said to the to this very senior executive, are you ready to tell all your customers you're never going to print a paper statement again? He goes, well, no, that's illegal. And I said, no, it's not. It's legal if you tell them up front that you can, you can. To bank with us, that is a requirement. And, and you know, he said, well, that would really tick off a lot of people. I said, that's why you're going to be held back. Whereas if I build something from scratch and from day one, I say we never print paper. No, every customer walks into the door and I set new expectations. So it's difficult for a traditional bank to make this shift and jump into a completely new value proposition because they're so wed to the old. And I won't even bring up yet punitive fee income that's a whole nother story right yeah and, and you bring up a good very good point i mean i i mentioned to you before we started the podcast my my thought about chase was finn was very successful it's just that you have 25 or 30 floors of your corporate headquarters all focused on the branch-based model right. and there are going to be people that get very scared about losing their jobs so while not fighting against what the company is trying to do they're certainly not going to support it because, you know, intrinsically, I feel like, geez, am I going to really help you get rid of my job? It gets to be really a difficult situation. You know, you started and you're initially coming out with a very narrow product line initially. Why not begin with a more robust array of services? Why, why, what is your timeline for product expansion and how will this occur? So a couple of things. One, we're building the entire, this new bank on the latest technology platforms available, and we're building it 100% in the cloud. We don't have a single on-prem system. So as a result, we want to make, you know, really careful about, you know, building the right security, the right risk management, the right compliance frameworks, all of the things that are really uh, imperatives for a sound bank, because our customers will expect that. And so that takes some time. Uh, so along those lines, we're also building products. So we have three products in the works right now. We're, we just launched our first product, which is uh, unsecured personal loans. Uh, it's a very basic product. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you now, the next product is the other very basic product, which is savings. But if you think about it, those are the two almost foundational elements that everything else can build upon. I mean, a checking is a more capable savings account. You know, a CD is a savings account with some constraints and higher rates, typically. 
you know, loan, a basic personal loan, you know, then becomes an auto loan or a student loan or a home equity loan. And, and they all brings it, that, that all brings in new implications. But so right now we're, we're focused on building the foundation and doing it really, really well and get out in markets so we can begin to learn from customers because that's, that's really important. I want as long or as much opportunity to learn from our customers as I can. So that means getting into market early with something, you know, starts that clock. So do you see Genius Banker initially being a pretty aggressive rate player since you have a different cost foundation than a traditional bank? Yeah, I, I'd always stay away from the term aggressive rate player only because a lot of people <laughs> will get the hairs on the back of their neck up. But we will be a very competitive, uh, uh, you know, offering yeah. from a rate standpoint because for the very reason you mentioned. We need to get people's attention. We need, and we can afford to do it because I don't know if I told you, we don't have any branches. We don't have any paper. Everything's automated. Right. So the savings I've created or that we've created in our business model uh, is going back to the customer. And one of the ways it's going back is is better rates. The other way it's going back is no fees. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big difference. You know, when you look at the marketplace, we talked about the organizations that have not necessarily met the goals of what they were hoping to achieve and in some cases um, backed off from the the process. What organizations in the marketplace right now that are in a digital-only mode do you think kind of get it and are, are, are doing, you know, they have a model that that certainly isn't going to be the same as yours because you wouldn't say that even if it was, but but kind of get it. They're, they're not a bad model to follow from a structural standpoint. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think there's some very impressive banks out there. Um, two of the ones that I'm watching closely are SoFi and Ally. Um, I, I think both of them were, you know, I, I, I call them or I say that they were born digitally, right? They, they didn't yep. really, they weren't born with brand, as a branch-based bank. So, you know, that's in their DNA. Um, and I love that about them. And, and you know, they're definitely uh, organizations we watch and learn from. Uh, so that's probably you know, the two that I'd, I'd call out. I, that's good. I, see, I I knew I liked it. We, we agree on that. I, I think SoFi is, I look at the market, the market's not been very kind to it in the last couple of years, but the reality is it's all because of the overall impression and the reality of the student loan part of it. But they certainly have the foundation to play as a very strong player. Ally already has. Yeah. Now, from the standpoint of how, from the standpoint of being a digital bank, a lot of consumers are using digital banks. Ron Shevlin just came out with a study that said that, you know, PayPal's getting an overabundance of new checking account openings, as is SoFi and some of the other, and, and Chime. But the reality is, in a lot of these cases, these are what I'm going to call secondary, and that, that term is used in quotes because it doesn't mean it's a secondary from perspective of importance to the consumer, but it's certainly a second account. They're not closing what account they would have closed in the past to open this new account. How do you become more important from an engagement perspective in the consumer's life than simply a, a holder of funds? Yeah, it, well, you mentioned something that, that I think has been going on for about 40 years, which is this slow trend of decentralization of banking or decentralization of the consumer wallet. You know, oh, exactly. Yeah, 30 years ago, you know, when I got my first mortgage, my realtor drove me to the bank and said, this is where you should get your mortgage. You know, now I go online and I shop all day long. Uh, same thing, you know, with savings. You know, it used to be that you would always get your savings account, typically where your checking account was, so you could easily move money back and forth. 
Well, the fact that you can move money so easily between banks now has made that benefit like moot, right? So, yeah. and credit cards were always decentralized. I mean, you know, back, you know, most credit cards, you, you would never even think of getting one from your bank. You get them from Amex or Discover, or et cetera, et cetera. So that trend has been going on for a while. I saw a study that the average consumer has uh, relationships with 5.3 different banks. Yep. And this is why I think aggregation is so valuable if it's done better than it's been done before. And, and something that I'm really interested in. Now, and, and Jim, I know you're, I'm going to get you really excited with this. Imagine re- doing aggregation really well. And then on top of that, let AI go crazy. Let AI look at every transaction you do and give you advice as to how you might do things a little differently and have better control, reduce interest to your paying, increase interest, your earning, save money on fees, et cetera, et cetera, right? Oh, did your water bill go up last month by 2X? Go check your basement. You've got a leak. I mean, we might be able to see something like that in the future. Oh, oh exactly. And, you know, even the most basic things, which which traditional financial institutions really dropped the ball. We've talked about in this podcast before that when the PPP checks went out, financial institutions got all, you know, fat and happy around the fact that their deposit base just went skyrocketing. But they didn't pay attention to where did the flow of funds go once they got those checks? They went to SoFi. They went to to uh, Robinhood. They went to all these alternative sources. And financial institutions didn't realize that while everything looked good, and as you mentioned earlier, while the re- re- relationship looked like it is as secure as ever, it really wasn't. There's all this silent attrition, these multiple flows. And with aggregation, if done well, you'll be able to automatically see these flows and work on behalf of the consumer to say, you know what, you're in the right place for this. However, maybe we can make this process work better. So one problem with aggregation, from my perspective, is it always took an enormous amount of effort on my part to make your organization do what you want to do. There is very little easy to realize benefit to me doing that. How is Genius Bank going to make it so that I don't have to do what I used to have to do even with switching of accounts in the aggregation process? Yeah, so aggregation is evolving and improving as we speak as a as an industry-wide service. And and one of the ways that's happening is you know back back in the day, and I'll tell you this is at least 20 years ago, you could do aggregation where a company um, that I hired at the time uh, you would basically allow you to enter your username and password for another bank. It would log in. It would use a bot to scan the screen and pull information off the screen and then feed it into your database, which you could then present to the customer through your own online experience. The problem that you and I both know, Jim, was once in a while, that other bank would change the design of that page and their mapping that they used to pull the information would blow up and or the customer would change their password and the link would blow up, right? So that's how it used to be done. The new way aggregation is being done is the, the aggregation service is allowing you to log in to your own, the other bank and basically giving connectivity to and offering or allowing that other bank to share the information with the aggregation service on the customer's behalf. So it becomes a data connection as opposed to a screen reader. 
And now you're getting data directly in, in, a, in a very specific format from the bank. So banks are beginning to effectively cooperate with one another. So, you know, I think, you know, where we're going to be five years from now with regards to how smooth aggregation is versus where it was five years ago is going to be night and day. It's just moving incredibly fast. So you mentioned the importance of customer experience. And, and you know, as you know, you've been at many organizations. You all talked about customer experience. Everybody still does. But the real holy grail is customer engagement. You know, I have a, a good customer experience from my retail consumer bank, my retail small business bank, but I have a very low level of engagement because they haven't really served me to what my needs are. And so I get that elsewhere. I, I find Acorns to be much better experience and engagement level with me. How is Genius going to build a level of engagement to move it towards a primary financial relationship? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I think of it as like a, a spectrum and, and, you know, experience is like on, on the low end. The next level, like you described, is engagement. And, and, and to me, the difference is not just, well, if experience is, hey, it's not hard to do what I need to do, you might have a good experience. Engagement means that I feel value from what, you know, I'm being offered through the experience. Um, and the value, you know, if I put in effort, I get an equal amount of value back. To me, that's engagement. I'm, I really want to go after a third level, which I think of as customer advocacy, where you're actually putting in less effort and getting far more value. So there's like an exponential return on your investment of time. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. If you if you link your account to to Genius Bank in the future, my goal is to make sure you never have to pay you never pay an overdraft fee again. Now most banks won't. You know, most banks are hesitant to like proactively let you know that you, you, you might overdraft your account. They may or may not have predictive models that allow them to see that, you know, that the customer is about to overdraft their account. You know, I, I think that in the future, if I can tell a customer that, hey, you're about to overdraft your account at another bank because your paycheck comes in on Friday, but your mortgage is due on Thursday, and here's where you can draw the funds from for the short term to fill that gap, would you like us to, to fix that for you now? And, you know, you get a proactive message. You know, most banks don't do that because they're going to lose overdraft revenue, right? But, you know, I'm not right. going to lose anything. And I can give that message to a consumer for free because it's 100% automated. So, you know, I think that's how we start to build advocacy and where customers really feel like this organization is trying to help me make, make better decisions and have better control and better transparency of my financial situation. So when do you perceive or when do you predict that the checking and savings part of the relationship is going to be available at Genius Bank? Well, my expectation is that savings will be out, you know, um, in, in the late summer, early fall of this year. I think uh, checking will be likely a little further out. As, as you can imagine, there's more complexity with checking, checking because of, you know, debit cards and ATM capabilities and things like that. And we want to make sure we provide a top quality product. Um, but we'll get to, like I was saying earlier, we'll get to begin learning with the savings account about customers' interests and how they want to move money um, and or how they want to create automatic savings plans and, you know, whatever tools we can provide to a customer that, that they find valuable. So how long will it take a customer to open a, a new digital uh, personal line of credit? 
Uh, so we have customers that go from beginning to apply to getting you know the funds approved and that will be processed that evening uh, in about 10 minutes. So that's, that's probably best case. Um, and, and the reason I say best case is when people apply for loans, you know, obviously we, we take good care to make sure they are who they say they are. Uh, we right. have to evaluate their credit risk, which is typical of any loan. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we need to verify that they have the income that they claim they have, et cetera. Now, we're offering our loans through Credit Karma today. Uh, and most people that go out on Credit Karma register and provide information to Credit Karma about, about you know, uh, their current financial situation. So generally, the offers we're making to consumers, we're offering them to customers that we know generally already meet the criteria we're looking for. Um, yep. and, and that's good because that way we're not making, you know, blank, blank, or blind offers to customers that uh, we may never have even considered, you know, wanting to, to offer a loan to. So as a division of manufactured bank, you have a wealth of product infrastructure experience that you can draw on both in people and processes. Are you leveraging any of what is in the legacy organization? And if you are, what are you using and, and what are you building from scratch? Yeah. So within uh, manufacturers bank and the parent organization, SMBC, there is a, a huge amount of experience, but I will tell you the majority of that experience is associated with commercial clients so companies that want to borrow money or or save money, et cetera, um, you know, honestly, they have very limited experience in the consumer banking space uh, in the United States. Of course, they have experience outside of the United States. But this is one of the reasons that we have tapped into experts across the entire U.S. consumer industry uh, and hired uh, employees. I think we're up to 30 plus states. Um, and we've we've really built a, an amazing team. So. I would tell you the majority of our team we built from scratch while leveraging some of the, the common infrastructure like compliance and risk and, and audit and HR and finance so that we don't have to rebuild all of that. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of the podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So today I'm joined by John Rosenfeld, president of the newly created digital-only Genius Bank. We've been discussing Genius Bank, how it will succeed, where others have failed, and what is going to make them different. So, John, before the break, we were talking a little bit about what you're going to leverage from the legacy organization. But probably just as importantly is, what is Genius Bank doing with rela relation to partnerships and collaborations with either fintechs or third-party providers to offer a, a comprehensive, best-in-class range of services and products? Yeah, so we are leveraging a number of technology providers. Um, I like to think of them as partners uh, rather than suppliers because, you know, I want them to be motivated to, for us to be successful. Uh, and that's how I've always approached uh, relationships with, with key providers like that. Now, the vast majority of our technology providers and partners are, are really fairly mature companies 
but we're using some of their newest products. So FIS is a great example. We're using the, the newest core that they offer for the, for the core platform for the bank. Uh, we're working with a company called MX uh, on the aggregation and some other services like that, um, et cetera. So, uh, you know, that's part of it is kind of assembling. I think we have like probably about 85 key providers that are all part of our um, um, uh, ecosystem. And we're building it in the cloud. Uh, well, two clouds. Well, actually, three clouds. So we have uh, three different cloud environments that we're building for different purposes. Um, and, you know, all of this comes together. Uh, so clearly, architecting this was no small task. So we had to attract some very smart technology leaders and leverage the expertise of some of these partners as well. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, if you were to try to do this three years ago, but certainly five years ago, the cooperation of these providers was not as strong as it is today. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with the industry and how we've really worked together to make it so that if FIS is having to partner with XYZ company on a digital account opening process or on a back office solution, they don't hesitate. They find a way to work and, they're, and you're not the only partner they're working with in that way. And that integration of all these puzzles, these puzzle pieces, is, is pretty doggone important, but it wasn't there five years ago. So, so for a, a legacy organization to start from scratch and to build something like this was a whole lot different three to five years ago. So, you know, doing digital banking better always sounds good. But as you know, as much as anybody else, it's made more difficult by legacy mindsets and processes. You know, one thing that impressed me when I went to your website was your management team. I, it is a who's who of people from different areas, different organizations, different expertises that all were legacy bankers, but also also had a track record of being change leaders. How did you put this together? Yeah, well, the, the, the main ingredient was having an incredibly exciting opportunity to share with other people. So, you know, I called uh, a, a good friend, uh, Andrew Harris at Barclays, who was basically running their digital bank. And I said, Andrew, listen to this for a second. I kind of laid out the story that we get to build from scratch. We have the investment we need. We have a charter. You know, we don't have any of the luggage that traditional banks have to worry about. Uh, and they have a long-term view on, on doing it. He's like, okay, when do I start? Uh, and, and, I mean, so Andrew Harris, Rick Davila from Ally, you know, basically ran deposit operations for Ally, came like that. Sajal Agarwal from SoFi, uh, Anish Jacob from American Express. Um, Laura Waters came from, uh, was at Marcus for a while and, and USAA. I mean, we have, you're right. We have some of the top people from probably top 20 banks across America and definitely folks from every one of the other digital banks. And what's interesting, each one of these bring experiences, both successes and failures that they bring to the table that can be part of this whole organization's formation. They Each one can say, oh, we, we went down that path. That is not going to work. And we thought it was going to. It made all the sense in the world, but it's really hard to have work. Or on the other hand, you know, this really killed it. We need to make this a base of the organization. I think that's what's kind of exciting is that, as you mentioned, you pick and choose from everywhere. And that obviously took massive commitment from your parent organization to say, we are really going to do this right. We're going to invest in the team to make it right. And as you know, it doesn't matter where you worked in the past, 
the ability for you to succeed or fail was entirely dependent on your organization's management team. If the management team didn't believe in what you're doing, even if they gave a great lip service, it would not fail. It'd fall on its own sword. That said, there's obviously, you know, key performance indicators you have to, to meet. You know, nobody, nobody says, hey, here's a, here's a bank account. Spend all you want. Don't worry about doing anything. What are some of the key performance indicators that your, your parent organization has said, you know, this is really important for us within a time period? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, reaching profitability within a reasonable time frame. And of course, we have a financial plan that we've laid out uh, is, is part of the key performance indicators. The customer experience and how our customers rate would rate that experience uh, and their commitment and loyalty to us, as well as the employee loyalty. So how, we're, how effectively we're able to build a team that's cohesive and um, and, you know, we retain that, that great talent and all the knowledge and experience that we're building. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say those are probably the, the key uh, drivers, uh, the key OKRs, if you will, or objectives and key results. Well, you know, capital foundation and strong technology, modern technology by itself is not enough to guarantee success. You have checked off one of the bosses, which is leadership and, and performance people in the right places, which is very important. You know, how are you going to achieve scalability and adaptability on a on a bigger basis? Yeah, so, uh, well, number one, being cloud-based means we're about as scalable as, scalable as you can get. Um, we, you talked earlier about how now, you know, we can piece together things so much easier than before. And part of that is the new technology around APIs and microservices-based technology so you can plug and play different components. So when one component becomes, you know, we outscale it, if you will, we can pull that out and put in a better system, or we can add multiple systems and run them in parallel. So from a systems capability, really our infrastructure is designed for that. From a people standpoint, uh, and I know we'll, we'll probably talk more about this a little later, but being remote and the fact that I, you know, could hire everyone and say- That's where I was going next. Yep. Yeah. I said, you know, what I told people, you don't have to move. They were like, are you kidding? I mean, so that, that changed the game. And we've all learned through the pandemic how to work so much more effectively, you know, uh, and through these, you know, virtual and digital uh, collaboration tools. So, I mean, I, I think those are the keys to our long-term scalability. You know, you mentioned about the remote organization. That, that was so interesting because, you know, when you think about banking, you don't think of many organizations out there that are really in a truly remote environment. You know, what challenges have you faced in the last year or so that you've been working with Genius Bank that maybe surprised you or maybe didn't? What what challenges have you faced? It's interesting. It's brought up some a whole new kind of challenges or questions. So, and, and some of these are within the bank, but some of these are kind of more broadly around the bank. So if somebody is working with us and um, they now want to go spend two months with their ailing parents in another state, they can because they just bring their office with them. They pack it up, put it in their backpack. Um, however, well, what does that mean for employee benefits? What does that mean for uh, tax you know, implications of working in a different state? Does that constitute you know, opening a branch? These are all questions that we had to you know, wrestle with that we never had to before when everyone had kind of an assigned office, right? 
And then even people, you know, going out of the country uh, because you know, they need to renew a visa or something. Can we let them work there for a period of time? For how long? What's reasonable? But there's these are all open questions that I think we're still evaluating. And, and I know I'm not alone in that. Um, the tools that, you know, like we're using now to, to collaborate, I mean, are fantastic. And they've come so far. I think, you know, we've made it so much more possible now that these other, and it's creating these other questions that we're going to have to now subsequently solve for. You know, on a broader perspective, you know, I, I, I think we, we were together about a year ago in Boston at a baseball game. And, you know, looking at your vision then of what was going to happen in the next 12 months and what has actually happened, it doesn't always go as planned. What are some positive and negative surprises you've had in the last year as you're trying to build this completely new thing out there um, somewhat in a, you know, in a, as you said, in a remote work environment so, so that even most of your experiences don't necessarily apply. Interesting. I, I, I think, you know, my biggest nemesis is, is um, probably inertia. And what I mean by that is it, it's customer inertia. Um, yeah. You know, you've heard the old expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, right. I think a lot of people think about their bank that way, right? And, and yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, but that, so that I, the more I can get people to see what a bank could be like, um, you know, it's really easy to sell them on it. And, and what we've got to do is figure out how to make that switching cost of effort so minimal uh, that at least they'll try it. And then they start to feel the benefits and they're like, oh, I'm never going back there again. Right. So I think the the promising thing is the excitement I see about what we're creating uh, and the challenges overcoming that inertia. OK, so that said, one of the ways to overcome inertia is marketing. Yeah. How are you going to get the the consumer marketplace, the small business marketplace to know who Genius Bank is and open an account? So I'm very focused on trying to build a viral marketing effect, if you will. Uh, and some other organizations have done that, right? So, um, you know, and if you create something truly compelling that you want to tell other people about, you're done. Because you, you've basically created this network of marketing that's going to happen outside of your control. Now, you and I both know that can work for or against you. <laughs> yep. if you if, yeah. If that network can, can share bad news and, and bad results and bad reviews just as quickly. So I think it, it makes it so critical to do things really, really well. Um, but that's my goal. I'm, I'm, you're not going to see us, you know, on a Super Bowl ad or putting our name on a, on a stadium anytime soon. Um, but hopefully you'll be hearing about it from, you know, at a dinner party from a friend or, you know, your kids saying, dad, have you heard about uh, genius bank? Oh, it's spelled with a J by the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, this is, this, this piqued my interest when it was presented to me that, that your organization was out here, but also that you were leading the organization. Um, it is a big fish in a small pond to begin with. Um, you come with a lot of, of legacy experience and ideas. Your impatience is something you're notorious for, and that's a good thing, by the way. But it also, you know, what I have found in our, our podcast is that a lot of times you can, you can see what the future of an organization is by the leadership. 
and the the impatience, the enthusiasm, you know, that all comes together. It doesn't always come together perfectly. Um, you know, you, there are challenges that you don't expect. You know, Silicon Valley Bank situation certainly put a, put a wrench in a lot of people's views of the viability of a brand new organization that people don't know already. It makes it so you have to market different things. But, you know, to say the least, you know, as I mentioned to your team before we even got on the, the line is that, you know, I, I pull for these organizations because I think this is the only way we're going to learn as an industry is for organizations like Genius Bank to be successful, to get through the hurdles that are out there, to be able to put together a team that I've said this before on organizations that have worked and those who haven't. If it doesn't work with this team, it won't work. Um, but, you know, I wish you all the luck. And I will tell you right now, we will have you back on in less than a year to see how it's going, because this is the real embryonic state of Genius Bank in many ways. And we'll be interested to see, you know, if things worked as fast as you want them to and as well as you want them to. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Jim. Always great to talk to you. Uh, I love the questions you ask because you you really, you know, get to the core of this and, and pull out some of the, you know, some of the, the, the things that I think will really separate us from, from the pack. Thanks for listening to Bank and Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we've received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research you're doing on the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Chris Fafalias, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, persistent people begin their success where others end in failure. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.